Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBits podcast. We are glad to have you with us as we share our, our experiences at Tech Hub Live. The first ever Tech Hub Live conference was held this summer in Des Moines, Iowa, and focused on bringing together agriculture and technology. We were impressed with all the innovative producers, service providers, university extension personnel, and ag technology companies that attended the event. On this episode, we meet with some of Tech Hub Live's most innovative participants to discuss the current trends in ag technology, including drone imagery, precision ag applications, and ag sustainability. Here's our conversation with John Scott from Purdue Extension. John, do you want to start by just introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm John Scott. I'm the Digital Agriculture Extension Coordinator for Purdue Extension, and uh, I also am on the Wabash Harlan Innovation Network grant, which is a, a 10-county consortium um, centered in, in northwest Indiana. So basically, it's typically New County, the Lafayette area, and the surrounding counties. All right, great. Um, so we're at Tech Hub Live in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, and you gave a uh, a workshop today about uh, imagery and, and drones. Can you maybe give us a quick overview of the type of uh, material you discussed today? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was uh, the the goal of that was really drone imagery and using drones for beginners was what we were mm-hmm. we were shooting for, um, and we we talked about some of the drones that we use in extension. Um, we've got you know, throughout the state most of the educators. We've got about twenty three educators across the state of Indiana that uh, have a UAV. Uh, they mostly have Phantom Four Pros that they're using um, in their communities, and you know the big thing. In Indiana and in most throughout the Midwest, you know, is uh, corn and soybeans. So we do a lot of row crop work with them. I uh, get a lot of imagery from that. Um, and then we talk to farmers about it and we talk to other stakeholders. We're also doing work um, in livestock. We're doing things with around structures and granaries. Uh, there's always, you know, good harvest pictures and things like that to get and videos um, and, and talk about what we can do with some of the technology there. But primarily for the extension is the, the Phantom 4 that we're using. Um, our researchers, they have a suite of different things. I mean, um, some of them have some homemade things or, you know, not off the shelf stuff that they put together for research mm-hmm. and things like that. That's pretty interesting. Um, today, we, we focused mostly on uh, how can we use these tools, though, in an applied setting. Are there any issues that you see in uh, the ag industry when they're using drones for collecting imagery? What are the main issues that people are running into? As far as issues that we're seeing, you know, one is, is getting people aware that they need to be certified when they're operating mm-hmm. for uh, in agriculture, because pretty much all agriculture operations with these drones are commercial operations in the eyes mm-hmm. of the Federal Aviation Administration. So getting folks to realize that, hey, it's not just, it's not just my field I'm flying for. Well, as soon as you make a decision on that field, the FAA, that's a commercial operation. So you need to be certified. Whether money changes hands or not, it's about value creation. 
So that's a big challenge. Um, and that's on the legal side. Mm -hmm. As far as the imagery, um, you know, we're good at taking pictures. <laughs> well, most of the time we're good at taking pictures. We can snap a picture. Getting a good picture is a challenge. And mm -hmm. then what do we do with it? What do we do with the data that we collected in the field? So the data analytics component, and, and more important than just the analytics, but what do we do with the data once it's been analyzed? Uh, those are things that we're still struggling with uh, across the board of, you know, how do we use this information? And is there any like keys to using this technology uh, and actually turning it into actionable data? What, how do we get to where we need to be? Is mm -hmm. there any, what are the steps we need to take to get there? Part of it is just working with it more, I think, working with the technology mm -hmm. itself and understanding what is it capable of. Uh, it's been really interesting to me in the last, since I started working with, with UAVs um, in 2017, it's been really interesting to see how much the technology has progressed just in the last four or five years. Um, and if you look further back than that, I mean, it's leaps and bounds, mm -hmm. you know, and that's been, been really neat to see, you know, where we're at now. Some of the other keys, I think, are, you know, bringing all the different pieces in. So not just UAV imagery, but can we bring in the yield data? Can we bring in the soil data? And start putting all these, mm -hmm. these data layers together. I think we can start unlocking quite a bit more. Um, and then you get into more of the, you know, really heavy on the data analytics, the big data, if you will, in some cases. What do we do with all that? Uh, and where does that fit in? Um, I think that's kind of where we're at. Thank you, John Scott with Purdue Extension for our discussion at Tech Hub Live. I appreciate learning how drone imagery is used on farms and where the technology is going over the next few years. Here's our conversation with Aaron Sindelar, Sustainability Lead with Central Valley Ag in Nebraska. So Aaron, can you please tell us about yourself, um, a little bit about your background and what brought you to your current role at Central Valley Ag? Absolutely. So I am from a family farm, Northeast Nebraska, uh, kind of from the Hollis Styler area. Um, went to University of Nebraska in a Kasner graduate in 2006. Um, then I went on and pursued additional schooling, went to Kansas State University for a master's, and then to achieve my doctorate from the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, kind of what got me to Central Valley Ag was uh, just an opportunity to work with farmers. You know, I love being able to have that face-to-face -face interaction with growers, helping them improve their operation. And this is kind of an area with sustainability where there's not a lot of emphasis or service kind of within this area. So again, just kind of a new opportunity where carving our own path, we have really no roadmap to be able to do this, but again, bringing additional opportunity and service to growers, just kind of on a different side where you know, obviously when we think about co-ops, we think about well, that's where you can buy your, your seed, your chemical, your feed, things like that. And this was just kind of an opportunity where now we've kind of help growers with conservation and sustainability. Yeah, so uh, what do you see as the role of the farmer owned co-ops, um, their role in ag sustainability? Yeah, so at Central Valley Ag, you know, our mission is to do whatever we can to, to produce and bring additional value to our, to our farmer members. And again, this was an opportunity where uh, in this sector, just in ag in general, quite honestly, when you look outside of the traditional outlets like the NRCSs, NRCSs, the NRDs, and so on, there isn't a whole lot of service out there for growers to be able to get answers, um, consultation, and things like that when it comes to making conservation practice adoption, 
or trying to become more sustainable. Um, so this was just kind of an, an area that was empty, number one. And then number two, this is something that our members were asking for. They wanted, to, they wanted that touch point or that person that they can call and kind of ask these questions. As we see the conservation sustainability becoming more important within ag and seeing um, the general consumers asking for this type, type of products a little bit more, it was just a little bit of an organic kind of transition to be able to provide something like this to our world. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the practices that growers are really interested in? What are they really looking for to implement on their farms? Yeah. So when you talk about sustainability, it's such kind of a broad umbrella kind of a term. And when you when you jump to that, your your mind automatically wanders until through the tillage reduction, the cover crop adoption. And those are obviously those are kind of the two main practices that we're seeing growers wanting to adopt. Um, you know, within our footprint, so CGA's footprint, we cover uh, you know, significant swaths in eastern Nebraska, but we also have territories or areas within north central Kansas as well as northwest Iowa. And within our geography, you know, we estimate that uh, probably 40 to 45 percent um, of geography is already implementing, you know, some type of utility reduction. Maybe it's a no-till, maybe it's a, a strip till or some kind of a conservation. So we've got a pretty good representation with that. And then um, on the second side, you know, cover crops, there's a lot of intrigue and interest about cover crops, uh, but growers want to understand what does it mean for their operation? Uh, and, and can they leverage them potentially and kind of live in harmony where can they put a cover crop in and can they still maintain their profitability? Bottom line is, can they do it without leaving them? So it's kind of helping growers try to understand that and kind of do a little bit of research to try to figure out if they can kind of live in that, that harmony between the two. Um, so those are, the, those are the main two, but then even kind of expanding out of that, you know, something that I'm really interested in is sustainability around nitrogen management. You know, especially we look in Nebraska where we look across some of our NRD, you know, NRD zones or districts. And, you know, in some of those districts, we have some different nitrogen management regulations going on, you know, whether they're phase one, phase two, kind of depending on where that grower might be located. And what can we do to help improve their nitrogen management sustainability and also abide by those regulations that they might be facing? Um, and, and we're doing that with improving our nutrient management tracking. Are we doing some enhanced soil sampling or grid sampling and things like that? Um, split nitrogen application, leveraging a stabilizer. So that's kind of what we're doing on the on the nitrogen side, with kind of the nutrient management side for the sustainability beyond just the tillage and cover crop practices. How is ag technology, how does that fit into um, the sustainability and agriculture and what CVA is doing. Yeah, so it, it fits together really well because, you know, the goal of precision ag, you know, leveraging site-specific management or any other kind of practices, you know, could be on the crop side. You know, we're even exploring and really expanding into, you know, the water management side with leveraging irrigation fences and so on. But, you know, when you think about conservation sustainability and what you're trying to achieve with precision ag, you know, when you're adopting those precision ag technologies, you're trying to make better usage of your resources, either uh, becoming more efficient with what you're doing, or on the other side, um, you know, being able to reduce those inputs uh, without without hurting yield. So it kind of depends which camp you want to go into. 
so again, it, everything fits together really well, and, and being able to leverage precision, precision ag technologies is just one way that you can help improve the sustainability. Yeah, um, and at uh, Tech Hub Live, uh, where when we met back in July, uh, we talked about a collaboration with a third-party company called Truterra. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about their platform and how we can use it for to enhance sustainability and to uh, improve a grower's uh, markets? Yep. So Truterra is the sustainability branch under Land O'Lakes, uh, and they're really focused on, again, just really improving grower sustainability, conservation efforts. And they have a program called Truterra, like you referred to, uh, Truterra Insights Engine, where what I really like about that program is it allows you to place some metrics or scores on what conservation practices they're doing within a grower's operation. If we're looking at improving um, or showing your grower what sustainability could do if they adopt a practice, what this program allows us to do is plug in management information um, of that grower's current situation, and then we can select what it's in it. So maybe that grower is interested in adopting a cover crop. Um, we can select cover crop as a what if scenario and run the comparison and show him or her what that would do to their sustainability. Now, when I say sustainability, we're looking at the main metrics of wind and water erosion, carbon storage, as well as greenhouse gas emissions and, and nitrogen use efficiency. So we can, again, kind of show them that scoring of what it would, what it would look like if they were to adopt that practice. As well as what I also really like about it is you know, when we think about adopting a conservation practice and we think about just overall soil science and how changing soil properties is a slow process. You know, that's something that can take several years of adopting a specific practice until we see those changes actually happening. What I really like about Repair Insights Engine is that it can kind of show us the um, in progress kind of changes. So again, we put those practices in, into the insights engine, we run the simulations. We can show the grower that even though we're not seeing those changes show up visibly in the field, here is what is still happening within that field um, that, that's actually happening with these practices instead of again waiting five years until we can put it to see it. Because that's kind of the challenge we face with, say, cover crops, for example. You know, in general, growers that are interested in them, they understand the benefits of that. You know, they understand the environmental and the soil improvement benefits. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we're, we're kind of facing the economic problem is that you know, growers have to make that upfront investment for the cover crop uh, multiple years. And you know, the, fact, the reality of it is that some growers just aren't able to or willing to make that five-year commitment within the field of planting a cover crop and, and waiting that long until they see the actual changes. So if we can kind of show them the documentation and the changes through the computer modeling within the Trutera Insights Engine, um, it's just another way where we can kind of show value a little bit sooner instead of waiting until you know, year five or seven or whenever we start to see the changes actually happening. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that we missed that you would like to share? You know, I don't think so. I think, you know, the biggest thing that I always want to tell growers is that, you know, if you're interested in making these changes, these sustainability practices, uh, you know, adopting a cover crop, something like that, you know, this is something where don't feel like you have to try to wait on your own. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and it, it's really hard to synthesize it all together. And that's where you know leveraging your, your local cooperative, you know, your your extension, uh, you know, your NRCS office. There's a wide range of resources that you can leverage to make sure that you're making the proper changes. You know, when I look at things when it comes to when I look at things when it comes to agronomically, you know, if I'm making a conservation practices you know, practice change, there's a lot of kind of subsidiary things that I have to think about and potentially adjust to make sure that I'm it's going to be able to be inclusive in my system really well. You know, things like uh, you know, let's just talk about a tillage reduction, for example. You're looking at maybe making a, a switch to no-till. You know, it starts with the equipment. And are there changes do I have to make to my equipment? You know, some some people feel like if I'm going to make a change to a no-till situation, I have to go buy a new planter. And that not necessarily isn't the case. You know, again, visiting with maybe your, your equipment provider, um, you know, they may be able to help you make that change. Or maybe you just need to make adjustments to, you know, add growth in or something like that. Um, you know, again, agronomically, things that boil that need to be considered are your seed selection. Um, you know, maybe making a change to your nutrient management plan, um, your your uh, pest management plan. There's just a lot of different things that they're not going to necessarily require wholesale changes, but they're just slight adjustments where, you know, individually, all those changes maybe you add up to a couple bushels of a piece. But when you put them all together, you know, when we're talking about corn, you know, then it all of a sudden adds up into 10 to 15 bushels. So a lot of little things add up to a big, big thing, and they're just... Again, minor small adjustments that you might have to make just to make sure that you're maximizing your situation. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us on Farm Bits. I enjoyed hearing about the sustainable farming practices used by CVA's farmer members and how precision ag tools can enhance their sustainability. Our next conversation is with Jeff Wessels and Brian Vandestroot from Frenchman Valley Co-op in Nebraska. So, Brian, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Brian Vanishtrut. I grew up Southeast South Dakota, came with French and Valley in March of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, And since then I've been working as an APA, transitioning more into the Acre Plus role and getting more of the technical support side of things. All right, good. Uh, Jeff, would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Jeff Wessels. I'm the Precision Agricultural Manager at French and Valley Co-op. So, Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about um, Precision Ag in Southwest Nebraska uh, and kind of how things have changed over the years? Yes. So, some of the issues that we have out there is different than the eastern part of the state. We have a lot of uh, lower and better soil because we have less rainfall. Our crop yields a bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have have higher pH issues, that type of thing. Um, so it gives us some unique challenges out there. Yeah. And uh, Brian, what are some of the issues, uh, agronomic issues that you're seeing um, in southwest Nebraska? And how do you can you maybe use precision ag tools to maybe solve some of those issues? A lot of what we've seen is uh, some over-application of fertilizers mm-hmm. or not do, uh, applying fertilizers in the right ratios. What we're trying to do in Acre Plus is do what they're already doing, but provide an add-on service. So if they're using their strip-till equipment to meet their phosphorus needs, then we can come in 
with an above ground unit <clears throat> and top everything off using yield goal zones and then the soil maps from the grids try and make that their farming practices as efficient as possible yeah and brian can you tell me uh what is something that you've seen at tuck Hub live that you find to be most exciting i'd say it's mostly <clears throat> well, it's really two things one would be the autonomy of everything yeah. Uh, yeah. we've kind of dipped our toe into that a little bit but you really see all the different companies that are trying to do it whether it's through drones or through uh, <clears throat> autonomous tractors mm -hmm. um, and the next would just be people are recognizing and trying to really strive together for that need to integrate all these companies together they know that farmers have a lot of um, different platforms to work with um, we have quite a few platforms to work with so there's just a need from everywhere from retailers to growers to try and get all this integrated so sure. you get a better scope of how these different companies are working together to make that happen sure and jeff is there anything at tech hub live that you think is really neat for the future of ag what i notice is trans over all the years i've went to conferences and you can kind of tell what what the industry is thinking. So right now, the, the trend here is like what Brian said. There are quite a few software vendors here. Mm -hmm. A lot of things with telematics, and so you know you can tell that that's kind of the direction. It, it gets into that. What are we going to do with the data? How are we going to do the digital farming part of it? And I think that is the industry is looking at that way, and it's very good. And I do agree with what Brian said. You're seeing finally a lot more capabilities of companies that, that will work together. They're not mm -hmm. trying to say, okay, well, I don't want to work with anyone else. And so it's, that's very, very exciting to see that occurring, that we're going to be able to get some cooperation across software lines and hardware lines. Yeah. And is there anything that you guys would want to talk about that you think that we've missed during the conversation? It pays to pay attention to your fields, what they're doing. I think, um, you know, managing a field that is, as its own entity um, can provide you with a lot of benefits. Um, <clears throat> just trying to get a cost breaker for each field so then you can see what's doing good, what's doing better. So you can get a better idea of how to manage your farm as a whole. It really just starts down at the grid sampling level where you're doing parts of the field and then you're going to fields within the farm and then farms within a field how that works um, and it just comes down to figuring out what works best for your operation. Thanks to Jeff and Brian with Frenchman Valley Co-op. I learned a great deal from our conversation about the challenges your growers face and how ag technology is being used to find solutions. Our next conversation is with David Scheider, owner manager of Integrated Ag Services in Ohio. My name is Dave Scheider. Uh, I am the owner of Integrated Ag Services. We are a crop consulting firm here in West Central Ohio. Been in business now for 31 years. Um, almost all of our business, we work directly with growers from making um, variable rate fertilizer prescriptions, seed, fertilizer, lime, um, very little chemical at this point, but we do a lot of prescriptive chemical recommendations. And um, do a lot of scouting, do a lot of soil sampling, and uh, enjoy agriculture. Great. Uh, so can you give us maybe an overview of some of the precision ag tools that you're using uh, with growers? 
So some of it is just pretty traditional stuff. We, our GIS platform primarily is SMS, and that's what we use a lot to uh, do our prescriptions. Um, we are using a, a lot of Ag Leader products as far as Agfinity. We use it a lot uh, to connect with growers. Uh, we also, the, the my, my John Deere of John Deere Command Center, that's uh, becoming very popular. We use that. We try to connect with any platform that the farmer's using. So we, we try to be somewhat um, platform agnostic, um, and we just try and connect with the grower the way they want to connect. Um, probably what makes us a little bit unique, we do, uh, we actually had a hold a patent on an automated soil sampling system and we sample, we do a lot of high density soil sampling. Um, we do about, oh, I'm going to guess 60,000 acres a year of half acre grids. Every 150 feet, we take a soil sample, um, a lab because we <laughs> take a lot of soil samples, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of unique. Um, in the last three years, we've hooked up with a company called Tyrannus that um, we use their machine learning software. Uh, we take images from drones um, and about it, it varies a little bit from 50 to 80 feet above the crop. We use high resolution cameras. Um, we fly the drones. We take the pictures. We feed them to Tyrannus and they use their machine learning software. It does a really cool job of identifying weeds. Uh, weed populations and uh, plant stands, insects, insect damage, disease. And our goal is is to uh, eventually get to the place that uh, our consultants, uh, customers use this tool strictly as a, 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 a the tools used to do the scouting, the hard work. And then our agronomists and our customers can plug in and then specifically look for uh, problems in specific areas of deal, already knowing what the problems are. It's more of a validation, um, what we do, so we can focus more on the agronomy and less on uh, the boots on the ground. Although boots on the ground are still very important, but um, we need to be able to do it efficiently. And then we use another company out of Iowa called Premier Crop, and uh, they help us um, plugging into our customers more from a high-end um, agronomic perspective, doing turning the farm into a test plot, a lot of on-farm research that can be done through that program, a lot more of the economics drive decisions. So that would be our high-end um, consulting program where we use Premier Crops tools to help us do that. So um, that's kind of what we're doing these days. Wow, that's a pretty good overview. Um, I'm curious about the High definition soil sampling. Is there different soils in your area that uh, that you really see a benefit from the the really high definition grid as opposed to you know more either zone sampling or um, maybe larger grids? What's what's the main major benefits that you're seeing from those? Our soil structures are such that we have a tremendous amount of variability, um, so we can. It's, it's very common for us to have in a field, uh, for example, organic matters can vary from 1% to 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that variability, it um, it lends itself more to high-density soil sampling. So that's kind of the easy overview answer. But the other side of it is, is for me being in this business for such a long time, um, I've been 
around the soil sampling business forever. And so much so that when it started, it was one sample or one set of samples per field. So one sample resolved out of many cores in the field. And you just did a field average and um, saw all the problems with that. Um, went when I started the business, um, we went, moved into more of a management zone type sampling where we used mostly soil surveys to identify the management zones and soil sampled them that way. So we would, in a lot of cases, on a, a 50 acre field, six or eight samples um, out of those zones, many cores collected in those zones, but in effect, there would be um, maybe anywhere from three to six zones in that field. Still had tremendous variability, uh, still and struggled to um, get consistency. We would sample a zone one year. The next year, you would resample it. And for example, pH would, would be 6.3, and the next year, you would sample it. It would be 6.8, and then the next year, it would be back down to 6.3 again. And so we battled through that. I mean, that, that was better than a whole field, but still tremendous variability. Went from there into the two and a half acre grid sampling, which was kind of and still is kind of an industry standard. Uh, saw some improvement um, as far as being able to get a little more repeatable, but still tremendous variability. Um, we couldn't, uh, and we had to rely on turpulation methods um, to help us um, that would in turn create the recommendation. And we had some of the same issues where the repeatability of that was not consistent at all. And so what I told myself was, is if money was not the object, if we could do whatever we wanted to, how would we soil sample to get the best results? And the answer was we would take a lot more samples. And, and so then I looked at, from a business perspective, why don't we take more samples? And it, it's like most things in life, time and money. Uh, it's very time consuming to take high density soil sampling and the lab costs that uh, would limit you on how many samples you can take. It wasn't that anybody, I won't say anybody, but I think most agronomists understand that interpolation methods, they're, they're fraught with errors uh, when you have high variability. So that's what led us that way. It took us four or five years to truly develop the automated system. Um, we do that. And the other part about the system is, is it's very, it takes a sample exactly the same way each time. So we, we get some consistency that way. So now we're able to take a sample about every 15 seconds. And by doing it that way, we can take a lot of samples. By incorporating the whole system into our lab, we, we, we eliminated a lot of the, the, the time-consuming part of getting a sample collected and then to the lab with codes and containers and things like that. It's all been streamlined, so it's very, 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 very smooth and fast process. So out of that, um, we're able to do high-density sampling at what we feel like is a reasonable cost. And we still use interpolation methods, but now we're interpolating from about 150 feet away from a sample. Yeah, and as far as uh, pest management decisions and crop protection, you mentioned some uh, companies that you were partnering with, like uh, Tyrannus. Um, uh, are the, what are what are you trying to uh, accomplish with 
uh, precision ag as far as making a diagnosis if there's an issue in the field during the season. So first of all, I think this is the area that in the next five years you're going to see tremendous change. Um, and this change may be uh, partially from the sea and spray technology that's coming forward, um, or for sure it's going to be built around machine learning. And by machine learning, um, it's simply, I always like to say, it's, it's, it's just teaching a machine, a computer, to really think like humans think. Um, when you walk out the door, when you walk in a, in a cornfield um, and you see gray leaf spot, which is a pretty predominant disease in our part of the world, um, after you've looked at gray leaf spot, the first time you go into the cornfield, you're 20 years old and you're an intern for a seed company and you don't know what gray leaf spot looks like. So you walk in the field and you go, I don't know what this is. Um, and then somebody explains it to you and says, well, these lesions, they represent gray leaf spot. Oh, okay. And so then you look some more and you go, oh, I think that's gray leaf spot. But after you've looked at 500 cornfields and you've seen them at different growth stages and different varieties, you're learning, you're teaching yourself. You can now just glance uh, at a corn leaf and go, that's gray leaf spot. And that, that's an economic threshold we need to spray. Um, so what this machine learning does for us is, is we right now and forever uh, in, the, in the consulting business, we've got to apply that human knowledge um, to make those decisions. And the challenge with that is, is that we've only got a limited amount of that resource, that human knowledge to get across thousands and thousands of acres of corn to help growers identify whether they need to spray or not spray. Um, the other challenge is, is it's just physically restricting that uh, when corn gets so tall, you have to walk through it and that's it. And the ability to walk through corn, a large corn field, and do that day after day after day is very, very limiting on how many acres you can see. So now you apply things like drone technology to where the drone can fly over top of the corn field, look into the corn, take pictures, and then those pictures are then processed. So that becomes, in effect, the, the human learning becomes machine learning. And it says, ah, I've seen this 10,000 times. I know that's great leaf spot. And for us, what's really important is, is not only does it identify what, it, what the pest is, but it tells us the level. So, and, and we have now documentation. We know that from a GPS location, we know what the pest level was and what the pest was. And so instead of having uh, one person walking through a cornfield and going, yep, it's a leaf spot, I see it, we need to spray. And in reality, they may have only looked at 1% of the whole cornfield. You may have 300 or 500 or 100, whatever, depending on field size, um, pictures that help us identify that disease and what that population of that disease is real and actionable numbers, values. What that does is, is it, it, A, helps us make a much better decision. Um, we take a lot of the emotion out of these decisions. But B, because it's, it's, it's a real and actionable number, we can start to plug that in to different algorithms. For example, with a disease, you could, and we have not done this yet, but this is kind of where we're heading is, when you start to capture this real and actionable data, now it can be plugged into an algorithm. Now you can use really good models that take into consideration the weather, 
the, the, the crop, the planting date, and it can now take this and just leverage all that and make you a much better agronomist saying there's a high likelihood that you will see a response from a fungicide on these fields because of past and present weather, because of disease threshold numbers, and because of the crop that's in the field. So um, it, it's very much an emerging technology, but it's going to make us much, much, much better agronomists than anything we can do today. Very excited about that. Yeah, um, I guess I got a question about uh, some of the high definition scouting. Um, so with drones, you can kind of get a good look at something like uh, defoliation or pests that are higher up in the canopy. I'm curious about pests that are maybe lower in the canopy. Um, a lot of pests are bottom up pests, um, spider mites. Uh, gray leaf spot was one. Are there other platforms that you're seeing as far as sampling techniques that you're kind of keeping an eye out for that could maybe get a better view across these different types of pests of what's going on in your field? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, my best example I can give is probably gray leaf spot. Gray leaf spot tends to develop in the corn plant down in the bottom of the canopy and uh, the kind of the trigger that we, we use to determine whether gray leaf spot is a problem or not is how quickly and how far up the corn canopy it's moved so when you're doing drain imagery yeah we can get really really high resolution and we can see into that corn canopy about um maybe two three feet into the canopy but that disease development is down there in the bottom third of the canopy. And in many cases, we need to be able to look down in that canopy five or six feet to be able to see it. And sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't. Um, so what we really need is we need technology that allows us to look at the bottom of the canopy up. And there's a, there's a product, um, it's, the company is called Acre. They, uh, they developed a, a pod that it's basically um, a, a, an array of cameras on a, on a stick. Uh, it's actually on a roof, and it drops this pod from a drone down into the canopy, hits the ground, comes back up a couple of feet, and then starts taking pictures of that under canopy um, to determine a disease threshold. For us, is what we're most interested in. And, it's interesting technology. It's one of those that, um, it, for me at least, I want to see it proven out. Um, it needs to be tied to good quality machine learning. Um, the practical side of it is, is how many images can you take per hour or per minute with something that's got a, uh, an array of cameras hanging from a rope off of the drone. I think it's got potential, so I'm not here to say it doesn't. I'm just saying that, that we need to see it perform and see it give us good data back. Um, but that's that's an emerging technology that I think could be used to complement something like the imagery stuff that, that Tyrannus is currently using. Um, so that's one thing that uh, helps us out on those challenges. The other piece is, is we have, um, as you get into the deep end of these canopies, um, it, it becomes a challenge because these particularly corn is very good at capturing sunlight. So you have a lot, what I call shadow casting, when you drop into that canopy. And that really um, 
makes it difficult or more complicated to get a good image so that you can see uh, disease lesions, especially small lesions like very loose spot. Um, I think the solution to that is really dropping something into the canopy to take that picture. And uh, so everything is a little darker down there and you can adjust the camera accordingly and do a better job of capturing what you need. Do you have any advice uh, for anyone, a grower or consultant that's maybe just getting started into this technology at whereas uh, ag tech is really moving fast at this time, if they're trying to jump in, uh, do you have any advice for someone? Um, well, I've got a lot of advice. Do you want good advice? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, things are moving fast and they're moving much faster than they ever had, probably in mankind. But they are not moving that fast. In other words, probably some of the biggest mistakes I've made is thinking that I had to move really fast right now um, because uh, a year from now, this technology was going to leapfrog me and I was going to be behind. And that's not really the case. You always want to be seeking out good technology, but you want that good technology to have a practical application. Um, Every day we all see things where we go, wow, that's pretty neat. Um, look what it could do and with the emphasis on what it could do. And lo and behold, five years later, that technology has gone away because it couldn't do it. So my advice is, is to really, really look for um, cutting edge leading technology. But um, it's kind of like what we're talking about with our, our turning a farm into a test plot is, you should be testing these concepts and before you go out and invest a lot of money or or think that, that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread tested and make sure it truly does work and it has a true value back to your grower. Um, this, this, this uh, we call it HD scouting, which is our using Tyrannus and the drones and imagery. This is our third year. And we're still um, in a, a learning and testing phase. We feel like we've, we've, year one was nothing more than we just had an idea that it might work. Year two, we, we got to where we did some acres and we learned a lot about what I call the production side of it. How do we get across these acres in a timely manner? What do we have to do to get that done? This year was really truly the first year where we actually ran it as a production system. And year four will probably be that year where we finally get it to that place where we can feel like it's commercially viable and we can take it to our growers and really show the ROI back to them how it works. And uh, so while technology is changing really, really fast, that's a four-year time horizon on some very, very uh, fast emerging technology. So. Um, cool stuff out there, but make sure you, uh, you vet it well before you jump in and spend a lot of money. On it. Is there anything that you think that we've missed that we need to touch on here? Um, I think that if more on the data management side of it, um, that's one area that, that I, I'm finding interesting is that, um, and it's not really an agronomy piece, but it ties pretty closely with the agronomy is that growers really um, seem to appreciate uh, somebody that can help them manage the data that we're now doing a pretty good job of we can collect lots of 
yield data. We can collect lots of as planted data from planting information to spraying information. But if that information isn't organized properly and isn't stored properly, um, then it's it's nothing. It's worthless, really. And I think growers in general are starting to understand that. I think some of the more progressive growers are starting to realize, hey, if I make a commitment, they make the investment in the equipment. Um, we've got these cloud systems now. We, uh, I come back to the John Deere Command Center, and, and there's several different, you know, pretty much every manufacturer is building out a, a cloud system that allows them to, to store data and kind of have a central repository for all their information. Um, that's moving things along pretty quickly. And I think that's going to help us build some value um, so that we can take everything that they're storing and do some analytics against it and then give it back to them. But it's, um, I think there's a real um, opportunity uh, for those that want to be in this space because it's, it's going to be, um, I really think for, for the agronomists of the future, um, they're going to wear that hat of being the guy that can go in the field and have a really clear understanding of all the pests, disease, weeds, um, whatever it is, but it's also going to be the guy that can help growers to understand for the first time really ever can pull this together and help them make really good decisions based on all that data. So uh, the data management aspect of it, I think is really going to, it's, it's going to be a mature, uh, a more mature business model than it has been to date. We're finally getting past the phase of, wow, I've got a yield map. I can collect data to now to let's make sure we can do something with this stuff. Thanks to David with Integrated Ag Services. I appreciate gaining insight into agronomy in Ohio and how this company is evaluating new technologies for the future. That concludes our Tech Hub Live episode of FarmBits. Keeping up with new technology can be challenging at times and the conference provided a valuable overview of the ag technology field and an opportunity to meet others interested in ag tech. My favorite part was learning from the different perspectives of, feature, of speakers featured at the event, which include farmers, tech company reps, university extension, and crop advisors. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the FarmBits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of FarmBits.